This is Myla, and welcome to our podcast, As Far As I'm Concerned. We're a relatively chill podcast that gives often overlooked students and teachers a platform on which to express their opinions on social issues through a casual format they're comfortable with. Just a bit of background information that we probably should not be telling random strangers on the internet, but that is necessary for sufficient context. We are all private high school students. This is not affiliated with our school in any way and should not be treated as such. So for today's discussion, we have language. Let's get started. question I have for you guys or the first set of questions relates to speaking in general so I'll ask are you guys extroverted or introverted which side do you tend to lean more on honestly I feel like the idea of extroversion and introversion is really weird because people tend to have stereotypes about them and that like extroverted people are always talking and like always make new friends really fast or something and introverted people <clears throat> never talk. But um, I feel like these stereotypes don't really match what like actual, you know, people are like. So I have to say, um, I don't really know which one I am. Maybe I'm a mix of both. Yeah. So you don't just, you just don't put much stock in extroversion and introversion in general. That makes sense. Holly, do you want to share? I agree with what Cheryl said. I think that it's very, like you kind of feel it as like very two extreme ends of the spectrum, but I feel like a lot of people are kind of a mix of both. Like I personally feel like I'm a mix of both. I tend to be more extroverted around friends, but more introverted around people that I don't know. And I feel like that is kind of common in a way because usually people are more comfortable when they're around their friends. And I feel like most people wouldn't go around saying like their whole life story to a complete stranger. Thanks for sharing. Miss B, if you want to talk about your feelings? You know, like Polly, I think that Cheryl really hit the nail on the head. And I think it's nice that we're moving away from such firmly defining categories that might limit us and put boundaries on our interactions with others. I have some extroverted tendencies, but I think I really get them out by hanging out with 130 teenagers a day. And then maybe I'm a little bit more introverted when I get home. That's great to hear. What about you, Miss Leslie? Yeah, pretty much the same as Miss B. Um, I'm definitely can't be categorized into one or the other. I think in com in situations where I'm comfortable, then I'm definitely extroverted, but in situations where I'm not comfortable, I'm more introverted. But um, so yeah, yeah, I definitely relate to um, what everybody said. Looks like we all have similar opinions because I feel the same way as well, actually. So thanks for sharing. Let's move on to my next question, which I'm sure you all kind of answered, but do you like talking and why or why not? Um, again, this is kind of a subjective question because if I, if like I were to talk about something I'm very interested in, I could talk for days about it and get into really obscure details while like the other people listening to me are probably not even paying attention anymore. But say if I have to, um, participate in class discussion about a topic I'm not familiar with, then I might talk less. 
But in general, I think like talking with friends is fun. Yeah. Yeah, I have personal experience with you talking about your interests. That's a very interesting perspective. Uh, Polly, agree, disagree? I completely agree with that. I think like liking to talk or not talk really depends on what kind of situation you're in and what you're talking about. Like usually our, our lunch table discussions are quite talkative. We have a lot of stuff to say, but sometimes if you're like in class and you're learning something new, then you probably won't be talking as much if you don't know the subject very well or if you're in class and you don't really want to talk because sometimes that's rude. I would be in the wrong profession if I didn't like talking and like Cheryl and Polly said, you have to like the subject that you're talking about. And I think that the nice thing about being a teacher is that you get to pick the subject that you're the most excited about, which for me is literature. And then you have a bunch of little hostages in your room who have to talk to you about your favorite subject for an hour. So I talk all day. I mean, <clears throat> hostages is one way to word it. I mean, I've seen the expressions of anguish on everyone's faces whenever they have to walk into Miss B's class and talk to her. But anyway, what about you, Miss Leslie? Okay, that's a great question because I have always been, I've always maintained that public speaking was the most detrimental thing in my life. I despised the classes in college. I was so nervous. I'd have anxiety having, knowing that I was having to, you know, speak to groups of people. And I never in a million years thought that I would be a teacher as a result of my fear of public speaking. But it's something that, um, I've definitely overcome. Um, I do enjoy talking, especially like Ms. B was saying, you know, when you're passionate about your topic uh, as a teacher, you know, you, you sometimes or somehow, or at least I did overcome my fear of, you know, speaking to groups of people. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting journey from being a complete phobia uh, to something that doesn't bother me anymore. In fact, I can speak to other groups of people who aren't my students uh, with ease and confidence. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, starting from not, you know, enjoying it to something that I'm more comfortable doing. I'm definitely a talker. Sometimes I need to not talk too much. <laughs> I, I always love talking to teachers who had trouble with a particular subject and then got better at that subject and, and started teaching it. So for example, not being a very avid public speaker and then becoming a better public speaker over time. Because I think those are the best teachers. They're so good at understanding things from the student perspective and kind of joining the students on their journey to getting better at that subject themselves. You know, I really love hearing about like stories from people who struggled with public speaking and got better at it, just like you, Miss B, because I have personally not had that problem, unlike a lot of people here. I have enjoyed public speaking since I was very little, and I still do. I like imparting my thoughts to an audience. But I know a lot of people who don't, who have that problem, and it's always special when you have to help them through it and make them believe that, you know, their voices matter. Actually, on that note, like, feel free to talk about a time when you guys have felt that you either talk too little or talk too much. Like, explain the context behind that time and what the situation was, what you wish you had done differently. So whenever I meet new people, especially when I'm in a class with no one I know or like a class that I've never been to, like it's the first session, 
I usually won't talk to anyone until someone talks to me first. And I feel like that's kind of bad because I'm sort of giving up the opportunity to know a lot more people. But I'm always so scared that people will judge me for some reason if I talk to them first. Um, I'm trying to not do this as much. So, yeah. I guess the fact is that when you really think about it, most people are as scared to talk to you as you are to talk to them. So just going up to people and starting a conversation really never can hurt. They're probably thinking the same thing that you are. Holly, do you want to share? Yeah, I think like any first day of school where you don't know anyone or any first day of like summer camps especially, they're always kind of awkward. Like you're trying to figure out like who's going to be your friend, who should you talk to first. And I remember like I did horse riding summer camps over summer and on the first day, it was always like you could have kind of stood um, like to get ready and meet your camp. And then you would kind of just like find someone who was wearing like the same colored shirt as you since we were grouped by the colors of our shirts for like the camp. And it was like when you see them, you just kind of like lock eyes and like laugh a little, then you start talking. But like, it's very awkward to kind of just go up to someone and start talking first. You know, I'm the same as you guys. I was always a big talker in an academic context. I loved participating in class, but when I was younger, I struggled to talk to my classmates and I would always wait for classmates to reach out to me first. But I can say that that habit of waiting to be spoken to first is something that you can overcome with time. And in adulthood, I've made a lot of great friendships by reaching out to people first. So, you know, have courage, talk to people. I think like Mila mentioned, people want to talk to you too. They're also excited to make new friends and they're not judging you harshly in that first conversation. They're probably excited that somebody reached out to them. Yeah, that's such an excellent point. I'm, I'm definitely of the category of the person not talking. I'm more definitely more of a listener. It's something that I've just always, I was never one to participate in class you know, I was always the listener, but um, you provide some excellent advice, you know, being able to talk to people that don't, you know, people like me who would never make the first the move, first move, so to speak. And, uh, you know, you can make wonderful friends that way. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a big scaredy cat <laughs> in a social setting. Yeah, no one really expects it. Uh, we'll be in a setting like a school, the beginning of school or at a summer camp, just like you guys mentioned. And I will just go up to some, the first person I see who's not talking to someone and just start talking. And no one really expects that. No one expects anyone to come up to them. But when you do, you can make like really great friendships. It always works and they're always super eager to talk to you. Isn't that how we first met in seventh grade when we were in the same class? It probably is. I think I went up to you because I thought your name was interesting or something of that sort and we became friends. All right, um, moving on to my last question in the speaking segment. My question is, what about like debating, arguments, disagreeing with other people? Do you enjoy that kind of thing? Do you find an interest in it, like testing your wits against an opponent? Or do you like it for the knowledge? Or do you just hate it and try to stay away from it? Is this because in English class we have been doing a lot of debates recently? Because I have to say, um, 
I don't particularly enjoy debates, but I don't hate them. But I don't particularly like when、um, the debates are like I'm placed on an automatically disadvantaged side, where the rest of the class is likely to disagree with me from the start, and I'm not that good at crafting arguments、um, on the spot, so it's very hard for me to change their minds. Yeah, on the topic of like debates in our language class,、um, I feel like in general I like debates. It's like all the ones that I've tried or participated in so far, and the ones in our language class this year have especially been、um, interesting. <laughs> It was very interesting to kind of debate on like topics that are kind of like very unimportant and kind of random. Like, is a hot dog considered a sandwich? And then to also be able to debate on topics like. If feminine hygiene products should be free, I know Mila, you probably remember this very heated debate from our language、uh, class.、Yes. It was basic, practically girls versus boys, and <laughs> we had some interesting conversations. But I won't go into detail. Continue. continue. <laughs> yeah, I feel like those debates were always very lively and very interesting. And I feel like no matter what side you're on, there's in most debates there's usually like a side that the majority would think or like go against. And if you do end up on that side, it can be somewhat frustrating to think of arguments for that, but also kind of interesting at the same time. And it really pushes you to think from a different perspective. Thanks for sharing, Polly. You have anything to say, Miss B? Well, I like those perspectives on the benefits of debates, and I, of course, think debates are are great and beneficial in terms of developing your ability to make interesting arguments, to use rhetoric. I teach literature and not language for a reason. I'm not big on debates myself, and I don't love building or analyzing rhetorical arguments. I really love reading my fiction and my poetry. Yeah, and you really love having your students read the fiction and poetry with you too. But I guess、oh. we do learn a lot <laughs> from annotations. Yeah. Oh, but that's another topic.、Annotations. Yeah, but that's another topic. So why don't we move on to Miss Leslie? Well, I'm a rhetoric teacher, so、um, I'm, I imagine you know that I love to、um, debate. I'm more really a facilitator in my current role.、Um, you know, if I'm passionate about a topic, then obviously I'll argue it till the cows come home, so to speak.、Um, <laughs> but、um, I, you know, just just the, for the sake of arguing, no, I'm I'm not、uh, that kind of person. But if you know, if it is in the right setting. Um, then I definitely will stand up for what I believe in. I stand up for people I believe in, subjects I believe in, things like that. So, yeah, that can sometimes get me in trouble. <laughs> but、um, but I love to teach students, you know, how to find their voice and to be able to use it constructively.、Um, and then, of course, being a good listener and listen to you know the opposition and understand that you know even though this person doesn't agree or you may perhaps you don't agree with the person, you can at least listen to what they have to say. You know, take it in, process it, and. And, you know, do what you want to with it. But I think you know part of all of this is you know being able to hear you know other perspectives and then ultimately come up、um, with your own. You guys have such noble intentions with debating. I was part of this group chat where we debate each other every other day, and it was just over fun, over like the most silly things in existence, like. 
we debate which like I can't think of anything right now, but like we debate over elements, like which element is better. And it was very, it was silly, but it was very fun and entertaining too to see how the opponent like tries to get their argument to win over yours. So yeah, I definitely like debating, especially like especially in like fun laid back settings with my friends. But it's also very interesting to hear opposing perspectives, and I guess that's one of the major things with debate. You can like. Really learn about what your opponent is thinking. All right, that's enough of speaking for now. So I'm going to move on to the next segment, which is writing and literature. So we'll start with this question: Do you guys write regularly? And if you do, what do you write? What do you write about? Well, I haven't had much time to write for personal stuff besides school or applications. But since we're all in the same English class, I know that all of you guys, like me, have had to write essays regularly.、Um, I used to write a lot for myself, though. And when I was in elementary school, I even wanted to become an author. So that was interesting to think about. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like it's been really long since I've been able to. Write for myself, and I feel like even if I did write for myself, I'm not entirely sure what I would write.、Um, and then, like Cheryl mentioned,、um, our language class has had us write tons of essays. I believe we're going to be doing an essay a day in April, so that should be interesting. Don't remind me of that. I'm already dreading it. But writing is definitely fun when you're not being graded on it and you're not forced to do one every day. So we'll see how that turns out. Anyway, let's ask the actual teachers about their opinions. <laughs> Miss B, I do like writing. I write fiction and poetry just for fun. When I was in college, I was the senior editor of a literary magazine, and we mostly published poetry.、Uh, and it was nice. It was all people who were writing for fun and reading other people's work for fun, and we would have. Publication events where people would go up on a stage and read out their poetry,、uh, and listening to people read out their poetry is especially fun and interesting because the way that you read someone else's poem is often quite different than the way that they read it.、Uh, so when you do have time and when you feel like you have a little bit of freedom so that you can enter creative writing spaces, I find that they're always really fulfilling. Thanks a lot for sharing, Miss Leslie. Any ideas, opinions? Yeah, definitely. I I、um, I feel the exact same way about writing.、Um, you know, definitely, I can't do it much now that I'm a teacher, or during the time that I am teaching, I'm grading writing, not being able to write for myself. But when I do have the rare chance to write for myself,、uh, my favorite style of writing is stream of consciousness, where you just sit down and just unload whatever it is that's on your mind. And I think it's a great way to, you know, kind of de-stress in a way,、um, just take thoughts. You know, random thoughts and put them on paper, and you know, eventually see if this could turn into something in the future. It could, could turn into poetry or prose, or,、um, but yeah, and but the, again, the problem is, you know, when I'm grading writing,、uh, which is because I teach a composition class, you know, I'm on the other side, so I don't, I don't get to really, you know, do it much myself. <laughs> I teach students how to write. <laughs> 
All right, thanks everyone for sharing. So let's move on to our next question. We're talking about books now. So what book genres do you like and why those? And do you try writing in those genres too? I think Ms. B has already talked a little bit about her love for fiction and poetry, but what about the rest of you? Well, I read almost exclusively fiction um, since I really like like those book series that were very popular in my childhood, like uh, Percy Jackson, um, Keeper of the Lost City, stuff like that. And I haven't really had time to read fiction these days because again, I'm very busy with school, but I feel like if I read, um, I get a certain sort of childhood nostalgia from it. Like the memories of when I actually had time to read and enjoy these books. And I know exactly what you mean. When I was younger, I'd have to read for like three to four hours a day or I'd get cranky. And now I barely have any time to read at all. Holly, what about you? Yeah, I think I don't have much time to kind of read like outside books other than like textbooks for school and stuff like that. Um, but I do very much enjoy reading fiction and like any book with a horse in it. Like, if you hand me a book with a horse in it, I'd read it, uh, like, cover to cover. And I remember when I was in middle school, I very much enjoyed reading, like, romance novels. Like, the kind of, like, high school romance novels. The very kind of lighthearted and, like, make you feel good kind of romance novels. Especially books by Jenny Han. And she now actually has movies out as well, so. That's so interesting. Topic, oh, sorry. <laughs> sure, I'll talk and then you can go ahead. So yeah, on the topic of romance novels, I want to talk about those. It's always like, I've gone into the teen section of libraries to find books that I think I'd like. And when I was little, it was all the fantasy worlds and they were consuming and they were amazing. And now that I look in the teen section, it's all romance books. And then I went to the adult section and it's all adult romance books. And I really just like, I want to go back to that like, fiction, that fantasy thing. I really, really like that. And they should definitely write adult fantasy books. I think a lot of people have this opinion. They're just not saying it because it seems that all adults want to read is romance, honestly, and nonfiction books. Well, what were you saying, Cheryl? Oh, yeah, I was <clears throat> definitely going to agree with you, but I was going to say to Polly, so if you, you say that if we give you a book with a horse in it, you'll read it cover to cover. So what if I gave you a non-fiction book about something very niche, such as like some research study on horses that is somehow a book? Would you read that? I would still read it. <laughs> the effects of intestinal tube worms on horses with pictures, annotated pictures. Sounds like the best reading ever. I'll get it to you then. All right, let's actually ask the actual adults about their preferences. Miss B? I, like I mentioned, I'm a fiction and poetry person, but I think that, you know, as your, your taste will change over time, but I think it's great to have that one interest that gets you really excited in any literature. Uh, and now I'm wishing that I had taught something with horses in it in my class. I didn't know that that was the key to Polly's heart. Um, I tend to prefer literary fiction these days. When I was younger, maybe I went more for fantasy. You're right that there might be kind of a, a lack of things like fantasy in adult fiction. 
I think that there's some science fiction that is more geared toward adults, but generally the genre fiction starts to fade out a little bit and you're left more with, yeah, the popular fiction or the literary fiction. Thanks for sharing, Miss B. What about you, Miss Leslie? All right. Well, I definitely don't like romance novels. I love horses, though. Ah, kindred um, spirit. I see. Right? Yeah, I um, I just never have been into that. Um, I've more my interest is in um, narrative and autobiography, and um, you know, more stories about um, places that I've I've been or I'm familiar with. Uh, for example, my favorite author is uh, Breeze Pancake, and he. He's, um, he writes about rural Appalachia, which is where I'm from. So every time I read, I've read his short story book multiple times, and sometimes I'll just pick it up and read it again, even though I've read it about 30 times, uh, because it just, it's comforting. So I find um, with literature, um, because I'm not teaching it anymore, but, um, you know, for personal um, uh enjoyment you know I, I'm more into learning about different people you know the the adventures they've had in their life and um, so that's that's what that's what interests me I, I just can't get into romance yeah I will say keeper of the lost cities is still my comfort series it's not something that I read because it's like it's intended for kids who are younger than me but it's still like anytime I just want to read something and just not think, I'll just get out those books and I can just, it's my comfort book, genuinely. All right, in the interest of time, although this conversation is super interesting, I'll be moving on. So as English students and English teachers, what do you guys think about the classics? Do you like them? Why or why not? Oh, don't mention this. We had an entire debate in English just about whether um, we should take the classics out of the curriculum. And I recall some of my classmates actually debated Miss B on this topic. So personally, I don't really have an opinion as long as I am not forced to annotate like too much. Um, I'm okay with any book. I I tend to find most books I read interesting. Yeah, same here. Holly? I feel like this kind of comes down to like your personal preferences in terms of reading, uh, but I do feel like, I mean, classics is kind of a broad, you know, broad category, I would say. Like, there's a lot of books that could fall into classics, and I feel like a lot of them were kind of uh, hit or miss, but that really depends on what you like. Like, for example, I really enjoyed reading, like, How to Kill a Mockingbird. I thought that was a very interesting story to read. And, of course, like, stories like Black Beauty, a horse story. Mm -hmm. I don't think the book was called How to Kill a Mockingbird. It's not like an instruction manual, but yeah, I love that Wait, book, was too. It? it was to kill a mockingbird, <laughs> not how to kill a mockingbird. Oh my bad. I'm sure all the English teachers are screaming internally <laughs> at this kind of classic abuse. Anyway, moving on to the English teachers. Uh, Ms. B? Cheryl said, I was in an AP Lang debate. I was invited to the classroom to debate the question of whether the classics should be removed from our curriculum. And I did the debate in two different classes. 
Uh, and I think it was Polly who mentioned that the classics is a pretty broad category and also a category that we're expanding over time as we take seriously more diverse literary histories. The classics have a place in our curriculum for a reason. A lot of modern texts will make reference to classical texts. A lot of even just modern ways that we speak are based on references to classical texts. And so they're a kind of common currency that we can all hold together to communicate with each other. Um, but th that doesn't mean that the classics should be taught exclusively, of course. There's a lot of really good modern literature coming out that we can and should use in the classroom. I think it's all about striking a balance, but the answer is not to remove our literary history entirely, uh, nor is it to only focus on our literary history at the cost of whatever it is that's modern and interesting. So a good balance is key is what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Miss Leslie? Yeah, I agree as well. Just having a nice balance between the classics. There are classics for a reason and, you know, they're not going to appeal to everyone. Uh, but To Kill a Mockingbird was one of my favorite uh, classics. I love teaching the book. Uh, there's so much, so many layers, uh, the, the numerous times uh, that students read them. And that's another thing I think with the classics too, um, that we don't always have the opportunity. We read it once uh, for a class and, you know, you're not always getting the depth um, of that novel the first time, you know, and some, and with To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, teaching that over and over and over for years and years and years, I found stuff, uh, I found new information every time that I read the book that I didn't pick up on on the previous time. So, um, so yeah, I agree. A nice balance uh, between the different works and, you know, and knowing that, you know, you're not always going to get everything, all of the nuances in the first reading. You make a good point. There are a lot of books like To Kill a Mockingbird that I'm sad that I read in class and I don't really get a chance to like appreciate the ending that way I would have if I had read them on my own, but reading them in class like helps get a layer of depth, like talking with people who have taught them again and again and with fellow students who might have noticed things that you don't. All of those are really valid points. All right, so the next question, it's kind of going off of this one. So either as a teacher or as a student, what's a book, a specific book that you'd love to read or teach at school? Something that's not in the curriculum or that you haven't had talked to you? I have to say, I really don't have one in mind. So I guess I'll just go over the books that um, I did learn in the curriculum that I found interesting. So, um, from last year, I particularly liked uh, Death and the King's Horseman. Don't get me wrong, I did not like annotating it, but I liked reading it. Like, I found the plot interesting and also the fact that it was based on real-life events, even though the time period that the play is set in seems kind of improbable for something like that. It's very eye-opening. Yeah, and it's not the most known book either, so it was very interesting to see something that isn't taught on many curriculums. That was all thanks to Ms. B, actually. She's the one who taught it to us. Well, Polly, what about you? I feel like I'm in the same boat as Cheryl, as I don't really know a certain book that I'd like to read at school. Um, but I do know last year I really enjoyed reading Fried Green Tomatoes in Ms. B's class, and 
this another book goes like all the way back to second or third grade but old yeller was such it was like one of the best books ever i remember my whole class um was so attached to it that we were all like crying at the ending yeah oh my god i love the old yeller that book was great and it was a classic for a reason i also if we're talking about second and third grade i remember the whipping boy but that's not really a book that necessarily i think should be taught in schools it's just a book that stood up to me anyway what about you miss b uh you know i teach the the books that i like i'm lucky to be in a position where i get to pick my books and i'm glad that you enjoyed death of the king's horseman even if you didn't love the annotation part i promise they were good for you um i think that for me the matter is one of selecting books that feel like they're exciting enough to garner some student interest while also being challenging enough and based in literary history enough that they're going to lend to students education and help them develop as critical thinkers as readers as writers and so the books that i would most want to teach that are not in my curriculum are ones that I will probably never add to my curriculum because they're fun books that I really enjoy and that I think students would really enjoy but they don't necessarily have a place in the classroom because they don't require analysis they're not difficult they're books that students could read on their own so uh I loved The Outsiders by Essie Hinton when I was younger I really love Small Gods by Terry Pratchett a couple of other uh science fiction novels that I think kids would really be interested in the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy I have a lot of students who have read that series and loved it and those are all really fun and they'd be fun to talk about in the classroom uh but they just don't require a teacher's hand they're not you know things that work as part of a curriculum I actually think we read the outsiders in 7th grade but I guess during that time we didn't really have that level of literary analysis in our toolkit so That makes sense for that kind of level. I really like that book too. Uh what about you Miss Leslie? Well, currently right now I'm not uh, teaching literature um you know just on rhetoric but when I did literature I enjoyed uh teaching books that I liked and sometimes my students would uh say to me oh Miss Leslie why are you teaching these books they're all dark and depressing and I was like well those are the ones I love you know <laughs> so um So yeah, it's if, you know, luckily uh like Miss Pew was saying, you know, we're in a position where we can, you know, kind of pick and choose, you know, our favorites, uh, which I think are great. Um I'm a huge Ray Bradbury fan, so I would uh often uh be picking his short stories and um some of this his uh classic works. Um but yeah, To Kill a Mockingbird is really the book that I enjoy teaching the most and um and I definitely would love to teach that again having the opportunity. All right, thanks for sharing all of you. All right, moving on to the next question. So this one has a lot to do with literature more specifically, but in those classes, like in Miss B's class, we commonly analyze texts in a lot of detail. You think that every word an author writes is intentional and are some of our analyses like overanalyzing texts, like seeing things that the author wasn't even considering when they wrote it. Like for example, the curtains were blue does this symbolize a character's emotional state or just an author throwing darts at a color wheel what do you guys think what does it tend to lean to most of the time well for sure authors don't 
plan out every single word they're writing because that's simply not realistic. Like as an analogy, I read a post by I think art school students who said that they would um, make a painting and then accidentally leave out some important detail such as say um, the earring on a painting of girl with a pearl earring or a door um, in an indoor painting of people in a room and their professors or other students would always think oh that's probably left out to leave a message but in reality the person just forgot to draw it so i feel like that could be the same as certain authors at least in some case uh like they're like okay so what color do i think would um look best here and they're not really thinking of like the symbolism behind it it might just be a surface level or they're just actually choosing random colors yeah i agree with that i think i mean of course there are like some words that might they might have just been used as filler but authors do have some like probably meaning or some depthness to their writing um, but as was mentioned earlier i think by miss b uh, like for example for poetry people tend to like analyze or read out poems in a different way it's also possible that the author intended to write something a certain way and to have it be interpreted a certain way but to have it actually be read in a different way by people who didn't know the right way to read it i guess the same could apply for art as well like if you're trying to draw something that conveys a message but ends up conveying a different kind of message yeah Yeah, you know, the authors that we're picking for classes are good at their jobs and they're writing with a lot of intent and we're picking authors who, who are thoughtful and symbolic and meaningful for a reason. But also our goal isn't really to arrive perfectly at author intent. We couldn't understand everything that the author was thinking and then leave out everything that they weren't thinking. Even if we tried, and I think regardless, that's not what we're trying to do. What we are trying to do is glean from the text what we can glean from it. And sometimes that'll be personal or it'll be based on the tone of the class and the students in the class. So if we think about the modernists, for example, they're using symbols and images to convey meaning for a reason, which is that they want things to be interpreted in a variety of ways. And so it's okay if each individual reader is taking something different from a passage, uh, as long as we're approaching author intent. And then also in class, you know, the ultimate goal is really just stretching those analytic and critical thinking muscles so that we're better readers and thinkers and speakers. What do you think, Miss Leslie? I know it's been a while since you've taught this kind of literature, but Feel free to share your thoughts. Okay, yeah, I definitely agree with Miss B. I mean, you can learn so much. I mean, I guess it ultimately depends on what your end goal is, you know, what you're looking to take from the text itself as to your depth of, you know, quote unquote, picking it apart. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it. you know, I, I don't know. I, I sometimes, it, again, I, I just sometimes just enjoy reading it and not having to sit and think about, you know, is this is, this is this and this is that, um, you know, I guess it, it, I guess it just depends on are you teaching it or are you reading for pleasure, you know, as to where, where you go with it. That's a good point. I 
notice things like if I read a book for pleasure and then read it again in the class I will notice things that I would not have noticed but then again the enjoyment factor also changes since you know literature might not be everyone's thing analysis of a book sometimes you just want to read it but I guess everything is valuable in its own way and it all comes together to form some kind of coherent whole all right in the interest of time, it's going to be the last question for our writing and literature segment. So what are your opinions on movie adaptations of books? So like, do they manage to capture the emotion and the meaning of the novels usually, or are they lacking? Well, it definitely depends on the movie. Like some movies get closer to the, like a true adaptation of a novel and some just sort of go off on their own plot after a while. But um, I do have to say, I recognize the difficulty in making a movie that perfectly encapsulates the entire like plot of the book because a book could take like a few hours to read. And especially in the case of book series, no one is going to make a movie spanning like five hours just so that they can record every scene and every dialogue in the book. So I understand the need to like skip bits, but um, in the like, I feel like in that case, the movie adaptation wouldn't be a true like adaptation of the novel. It's just sort of like loosely based on it at that point. Definitely, definitely depends, and it really does matter. Like the smaller details, also staying true to the plot, but not making it so that it's just. A repetition of exactly what the book did. It's really tough. Holly? Yeah, I agree with that. I think movies do have to make a lot of sacrifices because they just simply don't have as much time. Like, they have to fit in the whole story within, like, in two hours, maybe. And I think it also depends if, like, the author is helping with the movie adaptation. Uh, like, for example, I mentioned Jenny Han earlier, how she has some movies. And she was actually working with the movies or like the producers and the directors and everyone and i feel like that is also like plays a part in it as if the actual author is helping as well because then i feel like it can help the way that the movie comes out in terms of how similar it is to the book or how good it is at capturing the book mm -hmm, definitely Miss I'm not really a big fan of movies in general. It's not really my preferred form of media. Uh, so I don't tend to prefer movie adaptations of books, but I do think they serve their purpose. And I think that there's some good ones. Back when I taught eighth grade, I taught uh, Of Mice and Men, which has a really wonderful movie adaptation, I think. And I think that the benefit in utilizing those movie adaptations and teaching is that sometimes movies because of the way that they present information uh can attract kids in a different way can you know keep kids attention span in a different way and so i think it's great if you take a good story and put it into a different kind of media that might reach a, a wider and more diverse audience yeah i remember watching of mice and men in eighth grade i believe and another one that also stood out to me was the to kill a mockingbird movie adaptation i really liked that one because it portrayed a lot of the things in the book in a very interesting way like seeing what the characters all looked like given the way they were described in the book was really nice but i don't remember clearly but i think that they let left out um atticus who is the main character's father's speech 
which was really powerful to me and I really I didn't like that but I guess movies yeah they do have to make sacrifices and there are some things some things work some things just don't Miss Leslie any thoughts no, I agree uh, 100%, like with this, uh, with what Polly was saying, and then of course with this, what Miss V was saying, you know, they definitely have their merits, um, but you know, it really depends on how much um, involvement the director, the uh, author has with the director of the film to, uh, to pick up on the details and uh, information that's trying to be presented or trying to be emulated from the book itself. All right, everyone, thank you so much for sharing, and that marks the end of our writing and literature segment. Now to our last one, let's talk about other languages. So tell us, do you speak other languages besides English and which ones? And if possible, can you give us some words in that language? For me personally, I also speak Thummer and I'm actually a teaching assistant for a Thummer Academy. It's an Indian language, one of the oldest as a matter of fact. And I'm also learning French at school. So those are the two for me. Cheryl, do you want to share? So I also speak Mandarin and I'm in Myla's French class, so we're both learning French. I like to say that I speak two and a half languages, well technically three, but two and a half because I feel that if I went to France like now, I would not be able to survive even a day because I don't have that much knowledge of the language. I guess yeah, it's due I to my lack of immersion. Yeah, I think we both know that we would not be able to do French for longer than like class periods. Anyway, Polly? Yeah, like Cheryl, I also speak Mandarin, um, but unlike Cheryl and Mila, I am learning Spanish at school. And I feel like I'm somewhat confident in my Spanish speaking skills. Like one time I went to a downtown San Jose with one of my friends and there was this a vendor who came up and started talking to my friend in Spanish uh, because, well, she's Hispanic and I, I could understand what he was saying so I felt like that was a pretty big achievement, you could say. Congratulations on that. I really hope I get to that point with French. Alright, what about you, Miss B? I speak Hindi. That's the language I grew up with at home. That was what my mom always spoke to me. Uh, when I was in high school, I took Spanish. And then when I was in college, I took ASL, American Sign Language, uh, and a little bit of Latin. But I haven't retained much of it. So I only speak English and Hindi. Interesting. What about you, Miss Leslie? All right, like uh, Miss V in uh, high school, I took uh, Spanish and then I continued Spanish into university and then it became very difficult. <laughs> so I switched languages and I started studying Japanese. Uh, so at one time, I would say that I was pretty fluent with the language and some of the writing, not so much with the uh, katakana and the kanji characters, but the hiragana, um, I had a pretty good grasp of. But so with Japanese, you have just very similar to Chinese, you have the language, of course, and then the writing. So it's almost kind of like you're studying two languages. But um, but yeah, I love Japanese. Um, I, but I, unfortunately, I just have lost a lot of it because I'm not using it um, as I was when I was um, studying it. I'm sure we can all relate to character struggles. It's not like in French where most of the characters are similar or in Spanish or anything. All of these characters are just new and different and there's so many of them. Yeah. I'd the, like to talk. Hmm. Oh, oh sorry. 
No, yeah, talk. Like, the main issue in French is forgetting all the conjugations or putting the wrong accents too many or too few. But you never need to worry about, like, actually writing the characters. And there isn't even an alphabet, so you just have to just know them all. Yeah. All right, let me move on really quick in the interest of time. So what do you think are the main challenges with learning another language and any suggestions for how to overcome those challenges? I, I have to say, like, even though I don't actually follow this rule myself, the, the most important thing about learning languages is that you have to practice a lot, especially speaking. Um, but that's why learning by immersion uh, makes you learn at a higher rate, like a faster rate than not learning by immersion. Um, so yeah. say if I went to France, I would probably pick up French very quickly as opposed to how I'm learning it in school now. And other things are, I guess, uh, learn how to sing songs in that language because that's entertaining and fun and you don't feel like it's hard work and it also helps you with pronunciation and also watching movies or TV like news in that language. Yeah, definitely. If we were to, we'll be learning French, you can know all the vocab and conjugations you want, but then when it comes to actually listening to French and understanding what's being said, that's the hard part. All right, Polly, go ahead and share. Cheryl, when you said learning songs in French, that gave me a very, very strong memory of us having to do a singing test in my Spanish class for this song called Sueño, which we had a singing test on, and then we had a grammar test on it, which was quite an interesting experience, you could say. Um, but I do feel like a huge aspect of learning a language is, like as Cheryl said, how much you're practicing it, how much you're immersed in it. Uh, like when I was learning Mandarin, it was quite easy since both of my parents speak Mandarin so I could very easily practice them every day but if I tried to talk to them in Spanish they wouldn't have a single clue as to what I was saying. All right thanks for sharing um, what about Miss B? You know like Cheryl mentioned before immersion is important not just for practice sake but also because the way you learn a language in a classroom is often quite different than the way the language is treated in reality. I remember learning ASL in a classroom in college. The, the way we would learn signs in the classroom, it would be quite different when we saw people actually signing out in the real world. Um, so for example, someone in a coffee shop might be holding a cup of coffee and they would turn what we had learned as a two-handed sign into a one-handed sign. Um, so just seeing the ways in which people shorten elements of their language or you slang, those kinds of things are, are things you only learn through immersion. I think it's really cool that you were learning sign language for the record, and yeah, just absolutely, definitely. Miss Leslie, would you like to share? Oh yeah, I just pretty much what everybody else has said, you know, total immersion is um, I think the best way to learn the language because you're you're put in that setting, uh, you're surrounded by it, and it's kind of nerve wracking to um, be in that setting, but it kind of forces you to you know, really think about what you've learned and how to apply it to uh, whatever that conversation is. 
Yeah. All right. That's the end of our other languages segment because we are running very low on time. So my last question for you guys, and I'll just ask this to the teachers because I know there's going to be they're going to have the most opinion on this. But which class should you take, AP Lit or AP Lang? Because I love controversy. Cheryl, start us off. Well, I just have to say. Here at our school, if you take AP Lang, you have to in in tenth grade. I mean, you have to take AP Lit. So it's not they're not like mutually exclusive. Um, but if I if I had to say, I would probably want to get a better idea of each one's curriculum because my main problem with Lang is that. Like we weren't really trained to do rhetorical analysis or anything rhetorical beforehand, and our first couple essays were sort of like sink or swim.、Um, so, actually, I don't really have a preference between the two. It's mostly the teaching style, like of the specific teachers, and also like whether or not we had sufficient preparation for the course content. That's fair. As long as the teachers make it clear what their expectations are and like impart the content well, like Miss B and Miss Leslie did, I'm co- I'm cool with either. Honestly, I love them both, and I take them anytime. I don't really have a preference either. All right, what about you, Polly? I feel like I don't have a preference right now. You can probably ask me again after I take AP Lit next year.、Um, but I do feel like. AP Lang was kind of a struggle when I first started, and I think that's also partly because of、uh, the teacher and like the essays were very tough、uh, because they were graded quite harshly.、Um, I'm not sure if you can say harshly, but probably. I like, think we just weren't <laughs> accustomed to like what was expected, but now that、yeah. we've gotten accustomed to that, it's gotten getting a lot easier to write the essays. Yeah, definitely. All right. In that case, Miss B, would you like to share? You know, I think my preferences are probably clear as an honors lit and AP lit teacher.、Uh, so I won't speak to my preferences, but I, I will speak to you know the types of students who might lean more toward lit or lang. Which is, I think that if you like nonfiction and you like thinking about rhetoric and you like thinking about how authors are persuading you to think in a certain way. And you want to approach things from a more analytic perspective, then you might lean toward Lang. Although I'm sure that Miss Leslie will have far more coherent things to say about how Lang works. And I think that if you want to approach things from kind of a more creative perspective, and if you want to look at fiction, and if you want to think about symbols and images, and if you want to look at authors who are being intentionally unclear, so that you have to work at finding some kind of symbolic hidden meaning, then you might lean toward Lit instead. I've definitely noticed that too. But Miss Leslie, do you want to add on? Yeah, sure. I think Miss V, you said it best. Really, it's、um, they're both they both have a, a lot of merit, and I think、uh, for each class you learn, you can take something away from it. So it would really depend on your personal preference. Obviously, the curriculum、uh, tells you、um, or the the.、Um, 
um, curriculum tells you what what to uh, take uh, as a student. But if you were to choose, you know, you would really just want to find, you know, what you're passionate about. And you know, if you are uh, into fiction, then obviously go that route. If you're more into the nonfiction side, then you know, you would want to take uh, the Lang route for sure. But but both again give you real world knowledge and make you think in a certain way and at a different level uh, that maybe you wouldn't think about before until you've taken either one of the classes. Thank you both so much for sharing about what you've been teaching and everything that comes with that. And I have to say, what a good note to end this episode of our podcast on. Thank you guys so much again. And we'll see you in the next episode, or in this case, actually, I believe this is the last episode of our season, the next season, whenever we put that one out. Thank you. And thank you to all our guest speakers as well. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye. We'd like to thank our guest speakers, Miss B and Miss Leslie, as well as Polly for editing and recording. Show for, for, for I, I, God. Okay, I'm gonna restart that. Ugh. We'd like to thank our guest speakers, Miss B and Miss Leslie, as well as Polly for editing and recording. Cheryl for performing the music that you are hearing right now, and Lila for script writing and general moral support. We would also like to thank our English teacher for inspiring us to create this podcast. Last but not least, we'd like to thank our dedicated listeners for supporting us. See you in the next season.